What you're about to hear is a conversation between two friends. It's raw, at times emotional, and really authentic. It happened naturally, it progressed over time. In fact, the conversation began, it, all this happened a few weeks ago, over lunch at the Elijah Rising office between Micah and Tamika. And as they got deeper and deeper and started to realize how much they had in common and how much they did not have in common, they decided that it was important to turn on the recording devices. So they went into the podcast studio, turned on the lights, turned on the camera. And the whole goal there was that you, the listener or the watcher of this podcast, would learn something from their conversation, that you'd be challenged by it as much as they were challenged by it in the moment, that you'd be spurred on to action to respond to it and to do something. So that's the whole reason why we're going to be listening to their conversation today, so that you might be impacted by their conversation, by their experiences as two executive directors of nonprofits that are fighting sex trafficking and experiencing how that intersects with racism. Well, Tamika, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, Tamika, you lead United Against Human Trafficking, another anti-trafficking organization here in Houston. Um, you're the executive director there, and I'm so honored to have you on this podcast today with me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to spend time with you. I love you so dearly, and this is an honor for me to be here today with you. Um, well, same. And, you know, I, just for our listeners, if you haven't um, encountered her organization, UAHT, we fondly call it, um, or if you haven't encountered her as a person, um, I just want to say how beloved you are and how much I have been um, just so really honored and, and challenged and blessed by getting to know you over the last about a year or so. Um, I really look up to you as, as another leader. You've been in the position of directorship for a little longer than I have, and so you have a lot of amazing experience just leading people. <laughs> and so I, I definitely call, call you sometimes, ask you for your opinion, um, highly value your insight. And so it's really an honor to have you here, um, not just as you know, as an executive director, but just as a person and as you're, you're going to share a little bit about your experiences, both in leadership um, and in the movement. And so um, I'm, I'm really happy. I hope you get to share everything that is really on your heart today. Yeah, I think that I would just say ditto to you and the impact you've had on my life as, you know, we've really been able to connect closely. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been so important to me to feel as if I had an ally in mm -hmm. the movement in the seats that we sit in. Mm -hmm. And so to have you uh, be there in times uh, that I have needed you and, and supporting me is truly uh, a blessing mm -hmm. and so critical, particularly uh, at a time like this in our country, yeah. is to have folks who are coming together and uniting uh, yeah. at a time that you know is so critical for all of us to come together. So Yeah, yeah it's, a tough, it's a tough season. Right. It's raw. It's hard. Um, but today, you know, as we begin to have more and more conversations around racism, around bias, around prejudice and how they impact even the anti-trafficking movement, um, it, it's it's we want to create a safe space. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're a safe person. And so and that's because we've ha we've walked a little bit together in, in friendship and leadership. Um, and so there's a place of trust there and a, a foundation of understanding one another um, that I think we're even building upon today. And so um, 
even as we go forward, it's like, how do we go forward together? Right. Um, and so even, you know, just to do kind of a, 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 90 degree turn <laughs> almost. It's like, I guess there's no easy way to, to step into this space and to step yeah. into this conversation, except for just establishing a baseline of honesty and mm. transparency and humility. And so I just want you to know that I'm here to listen. I'm here to hear. Um, and, and to just share my experience too, right. Of my, you know, becoming more awakened mm. to the issue of, of racism and prejudice. Um, and, you know, specifically today, we'll talk about how it intersects sex trafficking, human trafficking. Um, but at the end of the day, you're a human, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're a person and you've encountered it personally. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to hear as much as you want to share, um, just how you feel that you've encountered racism in your own life. Yeah. I think for me, when I hear that question and when I have heard it throughout my life, uh, how to explain my experience, whether it's personally or professionally, I always take pause because it is so intimate and, mm-hmm. and close to my heart um, to talk about the pain yeah. of that in my life. Um, but I think it's important to mm-hmm. be able to release that as much as possible. And I think mm-hmm. for me, the best way to do that is to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a social worker by, by mm-hmm. trade, um, although I'm an ED, I definitely bring that skill set to the position. And so in social work, we always talk about leaning into the discomfort Mm -hmm. of the conversation, leaning into the discomfort of just uh, the pieces of life that can be very treacherous and hard. Uh, And so when you talk about experiences and discrimination and racism, it's very much something I've dealt with my whole life. Um, I grew up in a very impoverished neighborhood um, as a kid, very heavily policed neighborhood single mother uh, doing the best that she could to take care of me and my two brothers. Um, And with that upbringing, when I was 10, I was kind of propelled into a world of whiteness uh, by going to schools and that I was, you know, a lot of times the only African-American in the schools and the talented and gifted programs, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, from the very beginning, really introduced to what that looked like, you know, really hadn't experienced that as a child very much. My mom and my dad are very open, loving people, embraces embrace all. So to have that experience at like 10, I you know remember going to a pool party for the first time at one of my classmates' house and experiencing some things at that time. And as I got older for the first time when I was 16, being called the N-word um, with friends, and I was the only African-American at that time in that situation, and then just throughout my life having experiences like that. Uh, and professionally, um, just when you have experienced um, a trajectory that I have where you've actually moved through your career and actually been able to elevate to certain positions, mm-hmm. it becomes even more paramount in your life um, because people don't look at you as a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, they don't see you as the leader in the room. They make assumptions about what your role is. And so for me, it's been a lot of trying to find a balance between how to uh, show love, because that's what I'm naturally inclined to do. Mm-hmm. That's who I am as a person. It, that's how I grew up, is always demonstrating that. But, and I think that that's the only way we can you know, really combat racism is to counter it with love. And that's wow. where the healing begins, I believe. Yeah, yeah. that's, uh, it, you know, for some of our, some of our listeners, 
they don't get the opportunity to know you personally, but I can truly say that I, I have never, I, I don't know many people, I, and I don't know if I could think of one person who embodies the grace and the humility mm. and just the kindness that you you just exemplify on a daily basis. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I reach out to you for so many mm. things, you know, um, for just your perspective, because you truly have a heart for caring for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so refreshing. You know, one of the things we talked about whenever we were preparing for this podcast was, um, your heart for making sure that people move from a place of the Mm. conversation to reconciliation or or how do we even go in that direction? So I I can honestly say that, um, that's just who you are in Mm. in your spirit and in your character and your nature. And, um, it's, it's really, it's almost, um, like creating a safe space for both sides to have the conversation mm-hmm. and saying, we actually want to get to a place of reconciliation mm-hmm. and, and a place of redemption mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. where things are restored and, um, you know, the beauty is brought back in where there's been brokenness, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, but, but, but your story hasn't been all rosy, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, I know there's a lot more that you could tell us <laughs> right now. You're kind of holding back yeah. and that's totally fine. It's totally appropriate. Um, there's, there's probably a lot more and a lot more layers of, of things that you've faced just personally as a woman, probably, mm. and then mm. as an African-American woman, and then as an African-American leader, mm. you know, all mm. these different levels of, of places where you've had to come up against roadblocks and even oppression or bias or prejudice. And so um, I'm sure that you have a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience to bring to the conversation, mm. you know. Yeah, I think, and thank you for, you know, just honoring that. And I, I think there's so much power in words. Um, one of my favorite quotes my Angelo says is, you know, words are things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, they stick on your walls. They stick in your clothes. They get on the table. They get in the chair. And eventually they get into you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I try to, try to live a life where I know that my words can heal mm-hmm. and impart kindness and love in a time where many people believe we should be standing up and yelling and, you know, and, you know, using our voices in a very powerful way, whether it's being angry or, Mm -hmm. you know, or, uh, raising our fist and saying it's enough. Mm -hmm. And I, and I agree with all that. It's, it's enough. It's time out. However, I, I do believe there's a way to get to where we're trying to get like I said before, by coming together, but in that path, acknowledging the pain, because mm. there's so much pain. Yeah. I have pain. Yeah. And I think when you acknowledge that pain mm. and just listen yeah. and affirm it, which is what you do, mm. and you're so tender with that, Micah, it helps build that bridge. Yeah. And that's what we need in a time like this. Yeah is to build bridges to one another mm-hmm. and to, to truly do that. We have to sit in a place of humility mm-hmm. and not in a place of righteousness mm-hmm. because we've all done things we shouldn't have. I've maybe historically said things I shouldn't say. Nobody's perfect. You right. can't grow up in America and live in America and not have racist things in you because you're, that's all that's, perpetuated so often, particularly here in the South. Yeah. And I grew up and was raised in the South. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's really a powerful statement. And I'm reminded of this, um, 
it's always stuck with me. Um, Dr. Dan Allender, he's like oh. a, a teach ther- me. therapist. Teach me, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he said this phrase, I'm not going to say it perfectly, but he, he's like, he's a therapist, he's a counselor. And he's like, you know, if you, you really have to take off your shoes before mm. you walk into someone's story, meaning mm. that, or implying that, you know, in the Bible, they talked about like taking off your shoes, you're in holy ground mm. and really reverencing people's pain and people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so our heart, even here at Elijah Rising, our heart is to take off our shoes mm. before we walk into someone's story. Mm. And, and our kind of process, I'll say my process has been, you know, I don't think I've done that really well in the past. I think mm-hmm. I've, I've raised my fist and let's just take human trafficking. For example, mm-hmm. I ran headlong into the fight, so to speak, or advocacy, but I didn't really take the time I'm realizing now to sit with the pain, mm-hmm. to sit with the personal stories, um, to sit with the individual experiences of mm-hmm. the people that I'm trying to advocate for and serve. Um, oh. and so it's, it's painful, right? It's mm. painful for, and I don't want to put words in your mouth <laughs> by any means, but it's painful on one side to say like, we've been carrying, let's say the fight against prejudice or equal for equality or for a lack of bias for years. And you've been trying to say these things mm. and advocate for these things. And then, um, it's painful on the other side too, to say for me, for example, as a white woman, if you can't see me, um, to say, Oh my gosh, to realize I have been complicit in systems that have brought either systemic racism or oppression or prejudice. And and you, you said something really powerful. You can't live in America, um, and not be kind of complicit or intertwined maybe Mm -hmm. with the culture of racism. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that even six months ago, I wouldn't have understood that. I don't know that mm-hmm. I fully understand it now, but I, I do believe, like, I, I feel like I'm waking up to that reality that some of the, the way, just the ways that our country was built, um, and science even shows this, that like from generation, the belief systems of generation after generation after generation passed down through, you know, the generations, um, the family members actually, uh, um, kind of help um, to communicate a narrative, maybe unintentionally. And so there's all these systems within America that have been, like, let's just look at our textbooks, right? I mean, you look at the history, you look at um, images on stock photos, and it's really hard to find black people, right? And it's really hard to find black heroes in the history books. It's really hard to find um, neighborhoods that are integrated. I mean, all of those things were by design. And, and now we're living in the fruit of those things, and we kind of, it's just like become our normal. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand the history, they don't understand the intentionality that some of these systems were designed with originally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's been so long that we kind of take it for granted. But th- those, are, those are places where bias is intertwined and interwoven with our narrative. Um, but now we get to dissect that and dismantle, hopefully dismantle that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, people, a lot of times in conversations, they want to give quotes, they want to give stats, they want to say, well, this is what, the percentage of this is this, and I, and I think that's all relevant, I think mm-hmm. it's important, 
you know, but, but if I was a researcher, I would definitely be a qualitative researcher instead of a quantitative because mm -hmm. the quality of relationships, the quality of how we engage one another, mm -hmm. uh, not the, the, the numbers, even though they're really important and critical, uh, I think people can get lost in that because that okay. helps it stay here in our heads and right. really cerebral instead of in our hearts, mm -hmm. which is where the stories are, which is where I believe true change happens. You can give me a number all day long about what's happening in the prison system, in the criminal justice system with black and brown folks or what's happening on the streets, mm -hmm. all those pieces. But at the end of the day, if I don't have an experience like we're having today mm -hmm. in a conversation and building a relationship, mm -hmm. it's going to be very difficult, difficult to bring those two together uh, because you have to really be clear on what the true root of it is uh, in our society. I think in you know, in human trafficking, like I shared with you earlier, uh, me coming into the movement about five years ago mm -hmm. and looking around and asking the question, where are the people of color? Mm. Let alone African-Americans. Yeah. I mean, where are they? Yeah. How did we miss this? Yeah. And talking at every level of organizations. And I think that there's a reason why there's an undertone mm. in this movement uh, and until we're able to pluck that reason out mm. and truly pluck it out and everyone is willing to do that and that's everyone yeah. that's me that's you sure. um, it will continue to resonate mm -hmm. and it will continue to impact the people that we're all trying to serve the whole reason why we work for nonprofits, we sacrifice yeah. you know so much of our lives and in our families and our, you know, relationships to do this work, mm -hmm. we should make the same level of sacrifice to really pluck out the evil mm -hmm. of racism, mm -hmm. because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not just plucking it out in someone else's space, in yeah. your own space, right. looking yourself in the mirror mm -hmm. and being like, Tamika, I probably shouldn't have had that thought. Where did that come from? Oh, wow. Let me yeah. recognize it, mm -hmm. um, reject it, and replace it yeah. with something that truly represents who I want to be as a human being. I think it's critical, and especially as a leader yeah. who's leading other folks in this movement. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough question, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that even that realization: where are the people of color? Where are the black people in the movement? And that's mm -hmm. even something that we've asked internally and saying where how do we engage different demographics right right now it's I, just to be very honest like i feel the anti-trafficking movement is kind of led by a lot of white people mm -hmm. um and so that's a conversation that we've even asked ourselves how do we how do we make space for how do we engage how do we attract i don't know what it is just different demographics black even Asian, Latin American, like the people who we see are being directly impacted by human trafficking are people of color, disproportionately. Mm -hmm. Disproportionately. You know? Because not all. Not <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, not all, clearly. And yeah. that's, you know, and that's yeah. what something too is like, yes, it affects, we, we say that all the time. Yeah. It affects every, it's not an ageist, it's totally. not a race, you know, yeah. it, it, it affects every demographic. But when we go out on the street, mm -hmm. when we go into the cantina brothels, we go into the massage parlors, we see Asian, Latin American, and black. And, black. Yeah. Yeah. and so, yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that. You know, I don't know where, um, I don't know how we, we 
shift that. And, and like you're saying, there has to be something kind of rooted in the fabric of the of the movement to kind of, okay, here are the, the essentially people of color are being marginalized and oppressed and hurt by this um, injustice. But then there's the white people essentially <laughs> who are advocating on their behalf, but maybe we haven't even listened to mm-hmm. their stories uh, fully. Um, and so how do we even solve that? Like, I don't know if I have an answer for that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. You know? And I think a part of the journey, Micah, is not necessarily the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, we often want to have this idea that there is one solution that fits all. Yeah. And I think that it's going to be different for every individual, depending upon their story and mm-hmm. their experience. I think there's an equal responsibility, Micah, on people of color, particularly African-American folks to get involved in the movement Mm. because it's their babies. Mm. Okay. Mm. It's their sisters. Mm -hmm. It's their family members that are on Bissonnette. Right. There's a responsibility, but there's a shame, Mm. particularly in our culture when it comes to elements that relate to sex and, um, drugs and what's the oppression for so many years has, really uh, how, how it's impacted our community. Mm-hmm. So what you do at times is you want to run in the other direction because mm-hmm. it's too painful sure. to see people who look just like you suffering in that way sure. all day, every day. Sure. So how do we equally take responsibility, the same responsibility that we're asking of our, our Caucasian brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know, we have to ask of ourselves mm-hmm. and we have a responsibility to speak up and speak out for the people who are victimized that look like us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I want to honor our white brothers and sisters who have led the way, Mm -hmm. because if it wasn't for you on so many levels, where would the movement be? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to always give grace and love to folks who had the right intention, Yeah. who, were trying their best Mm. to do what was right, you know? And it's important to take a step back and breathe, Mm. you know, Mm. for a moment, just to breathe in the moment that we're in because people were trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And we have to honor that. You know, I wouldn't have the job that I have if there weren't people before even if they look like you, mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing, sure. you know, and we have to honor that. And that's yeah. why I believe in reconciliation more than anything, yeah. because that's how you honor, I believe. That's my belief. That's how I live my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful because it gives grace to, it gives validity to every person's story and every person's voice and every person's efforts, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's not... It's not as cut and dry. No. It's so not, it can't just be one-sided. It's Mm -hmm. not just a one-sided conversation. And so it's nuanced. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's what makes it a hard conversation. Mm -hmm. There's not an easy, not an easy fix. There's not an easy answer. And Mm -hmm. even sometimes the terminology that we use, both in the anti-trafficking movement and in this new, well, it's not new at all, but the the conversation that is happening Mm -hmm. and terminology is is tricky you know what yeah. I mean like we we just have to listen and give ear and 
whenever we walk in so much grace and humility, like you're doing right now is, is when we can actually open up those doors. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have a very, um, those who don't know, I have a very, I don't want to say militant side, but that's what's coming to me right now. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> we, and, and I really we do. Know. We, we, I, I know you do too, girl. Don't get me. I know we both got it. We have to just, but as, as we sit in the seats we sit in, we have to sometimes, you know, keep that uh, in a place that's uh, appropriate. Check and so yourself. when I check, yeah. check yourself before you wreck yourself, yeah, okay? Right. No, no. So ultimately, I, when I say that, I mean, there's a, there are pieces of me that have, frustrated, Mm -hmm. angry, pissed Mm -hmm. off. Like what is really going on in the world? Like for real? But that's just that flesh and that immediate response that Mm -hmm. comes up and you have to take a minute to breathe Mm -hmm. and move forward. Like I was running at Rice, was it this week? What's today? I was running Mm -hmm. at Rice and I saw a sign and this is in Rice University and it's a beautiful sign on university. And it said, had a picture of uh, George Floyd, his eyes closed. And it said, dot, 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 breathe and vote. Mm. And it says, black votes matter. And when I saw that sign, I stopped. I took a picture of it. And I was like, oh, I wasn't sure how I felt about it first. But I thought, you know what? There are many people who are in the streets, protesting, doing all those things, have been doing it for like two weeks now. Mm-hmm. But my challenge is, what are we gonna do next? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna be voting? Are you, the primary was coming, are you going to vote? I asked my family this, are you going to make change that is systemic mm-hmm. and use your voice in that way, okay? There is a way to go about this work and a way to impact change that we all play a part in Mm -hmm. and we all have equal responsibility Mm -hmm. in making that change. So the militant part of me was like, who's voting? Let -hmm. me go ask because people died for the ability for for my people to vote. Mm -hmm. Thousands, if not more, died for that right. Exercise it Mm -hmm. if you wanna see change. Mm Hey everybody, I hope you are enjoying today's episode of the Elijah Rising podcast. Right now I'm standing in the Elijah Rising store that sells goods that empower survivors of sex trafficking. All the items in this shop, the purchases support the employment as well as the restoration of women that are in our program. So please come visit us at 11th and Studewood or online at shop.elijahrising.org. And today on your first purchase, we're gonna offer you $10 off if you shop online using code podcast. So, you know, um, to make it even, even here at Elijah Rising, right? So we have, we have been taking this opportunity to really look intrinsically, look at ourselves and where do we, where do we need to make changes? Like where have we not been listening or didn't know to listen or maybe have been operating like kind of on cruise control and we've been complicit in systemic racism or even bias. Um, and I'll just tell you kind of just my personal history, my personal story as it relates to Elijah Rising. But, you know, I obviously grew up in, my mom was white, a single mom as well. Um, we, I don't remember a time when I, I felt racist ideology or, or talk or anything like that. So I really grew up thinking it was kind of a non-issue or it had been eliminated or what have you. 
Um, fast forward to when I was about 2021, I moved in with a black family from my church and, um, it was, it was a culture shock on multiple levels because there were multiple people in the household. There was a father and a mother. It was just very different. And, but it was so good and such an amazing season of my life. So I lived with them for about seven years and they have become, and still to this day are my family. Like I call them mom and dad. And I call them on the phone before I call my real mom, you know, my biological mother. Um, they were in many ways, like, just there for me, mm. raising me, you know, um, mm. in that really formative time. And so, but even in that, even living with a black family for that long, we didn't, these issues didn't come up. And, you know, my father um, even has another layer of like intersectionality where he was in prison for multiple years. And so just with all of these things, I really had this worldview that racism is a non-issue. We, we really have overcome this as a nation because I believe it didn't intersect my world. And I didn't, I guess I didn't have enough of the voices. I didn't hear enough of the stories. I wasn't really on media. So I, you know, so all of these things, I'm living in this kind of bubble, I guess you could say. Um, fast forward to when I'm working at Elijah Rising and we begin caring for, serving, reaching out to the people that we serve and reach out to um, who are mostly people of color, right? Um, fast forward even further to where we have, and, and myself primarily have established, um, a museum, like we call it the museum of modern day slavery. And so I say all of that because there are so many ways that this last, I don't know, six, eight, 12 months have been just awakening, um, a really deep, a really deep grief in me. Um, to see where I was complicit in these systems or I, I was ignorant of these systems or involved in bias and, and not even really knowing it. And, and it, like you said, having the best of intentions, but I just say, so for example, the museum, right? <laughs> the museum is called the museum of modern day slavery. And, and it, it's not just today that now we're having this conversation, but even, you know, months ago having the, the awakening to say, maybe that is not even an appropriate name. You know, and, and literally I walked around as, as my heart is becoming more aware, as I'm understanding the terminology, the terminology really like what is white privilege? Like what is implicit bias? Like what is systemic racism? Like even just understanding the terminology, um, giving an ear to those voices, like walked around the museum yesterday and I'm seeing, I'm seeing a bunch of white faces, wow. you know, and, um, uh, and the museum is designed, if you haven't been there, it's designed to give voice to the Latin American population, to the domestic, which is primarily black, but also white, give voice to the, the Asian community who, are, who have been trafficked and exploited, right? And so we try and give them each their own space, their own language, their own voice, and just walking around realizing, oh man, I've missed it. You know, mm. not maybe with the best of intentions, but we've still missed it, you know? Mm. And so there is a place of deep pain, I think, on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't even know where to go from that. I just, you know, it's, it, how do you like sit in that place of revelation, of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of awakening? Um, 
how do you become aware of that? And then what are the steps that we need to take, like, to come out of that and to, to re, redirect and to correct and to advocate appropriately? Yeah. I think, um, and just first, you know, foremost, thank you so much for sharing that uh, piece of your story with me and with your the audience. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. And I think that you're a very brave woman. Okay, and the tenderness in which you're sharing your story uh, is a testament to who you are and the love you have for all victims of human trafficking and survivors. Okay, the fact that you're feeling it to the, to the depth of your soul in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think that walking around, like walking around the museum and taking it in is a huge step because you could easily not be walking around the museum mm. and evaluating it that way. Many people aren't. Many people aren't walking anywhere. Mm. They're still sitting. So I think it's very poetic and it speaks to your organization, your leadership, that you're willing to take a deeper dive in that way because you can make a different choice mm. because you have choices. Uh, that you're, the, the survivors and victims don't have, mm -hmm. but you're choosing to get in it mm -hmm. and look at the, some of the ugliness of the realities of where we are. Um, I think the tenderness in which we approach any next steps is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. um, we all have pain. When you were telling your story, I was thinking of how it feels for me when I walk in so many rooms and I'm the only black leader in the room, how isolating that feels. Yeah. And so I was identifying with, well, maybe she felt isolated in that moment as she's walking through, am I the only one that didn't recognize this or realize mm. this? And I wanna tell you, you're not. You're just the only one that's probably in this moment, in this space, acknowledging it in a way that you are and that's why I say it takes courage for you to tell your truth, because it's your truth. That's all you got is your truth, mm -hmm. you know? All I have is mine. And I think that if we're able to connect our truths in a way that honors one another and brings hope mm -hmm. to the movement, that's the best next steps as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. But the acknowledgement, talking about it, and honoring your story, mm -hmm. your story of your family. You know what I'm saying? We have biological families, but we have our true life families. I have that mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to build what we can build and just want to honor them mm -hmm. for loving you and taking you in mm -hmm. and doing all the things that they did. And for some folks, it's probably like, how did they not talk about race? How did mm -hmm. that not come up? I mean, seriously, like how? Mm -hmm. And then I think, as you were talking, because I heard the story, this is like the third or fourth time, like, they were trying to maybe protect her. It came, it came from a place of love. Because if they were, maybe would have began talking about it, then maybe she would feel isolated in her mm. space at home. Mm. So in my heart, I'm thinking, they were looking out for you and doing their best to not, in particular for African Americans and black folks, we feel isolated so often in the world. Mm. So maybe protecting you from that mm. as you walked your path with them and was in their home and all of that. 
that's what's connecting with me right now hearing that story. Mm. So we want to honor them mm. for protecting you. Mm-hmm. But there's some reality that we're in right now and that you're experiencing in the movement, but that framework for the love that your family have for you is going to help guide you. That piece is what's helping you walk through the museum mm-hmm. and to look at it with open eyes. So that gives you a context to be able to do that. And a lot of people are walking around the world have never had relationships with anybody that don't look like them. Yeah. They yeah. have no context for that. They're like, yeah. what, what are you talking about? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a blessing. It's not by accident. It's by design mm-hmm. that that has been your journey. I truly believe. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a conversation that has, you know, it started a few years ago. It, um, there was even, you know, yesterday when I walked the museum, it wasn't the first time I had done that, but it was the first time I had done it with fresh eyes mm-hmm. because it was probably a couple years ago we had a, um, a woman come and kind of say that some of the same things. And it was the first time I had ever, I mean, I had had white and I had black, Asian, Latin American people go through the museum. But this was the first time that I had a black woman come and tell me she didn't feel represented in the museum. And it was something where I didn't have a grid. I didn't handle it probably well. I didn't have the conversation well with her. I probably didn't know how to hear. And and, and quite honestly, I, I, I think that I probably internally, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously thought to myself, well, I... My family is black. You don't even know don't, me. You know, you don't know me, like, don't know that, me like that, girl. <laughs> you know, like you're let just, me just t- let yeah. me tell you something. No, I get it. Totally. <laughs> my defenses went yeah, up, totally. you know, and because you know, like I wasn't trying to be discriminatory yeah. in that. I was trying to give people a voice. That yeah. was really the heart behind it. But in doing so, not having the fuller picture probably left things out. I know now left things out that could be perceived as really harmful and really painful to other people who have had very different experiences than me. And so that's really where the convert, like the, the, that was, I feel like that was a flashpoint for me. And although I did not handle that conversation well, and I, and I really, I have struggled with it for two years. Like it has disturbed me for two years and I've just been bringing it to the Lord. I bring it to my husband, (laughs) you know, like I don't, what is, what is this? What is she talking about? Like first it was like, you don't know me like that. You need to back up. (laughs) Not okay. Um, but then it was like, what are you talking about? Like, what could there, you know, maybe there's a shred of truth there. Now I see it from a very different wow. perspective and I go, oh man, there was a lot of pain there. Mm. There was a lot of experience that I know nothing about that was valid. And I think that's so important. Right now I feel that just as individuals, it is so easy to get offended Mm. it's so easy to be like well you didn't say that right I don't like that term I'm offended by that you know that lexicon whatever before we understand the meaning behind it um and that's just something that I've been so enlightened by of like okay we if we're even going to have a conversation we need to first listen and, and that's, that can be very, very trite and like a, a listen, you know, all, I don't know all the things, but have you really sat with another person to hear their perspective before you're spouting off on social media? You know what I mean? Have we as advocates really sat with the people that we're serving and listened to their stories and listened to their experiences through the whole system that we're walking them through? You know what I mean? Before we try and help and solve like, so 
anyways, I, 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 it's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the conversation has to continue yeah. and, and you're so right of, are we willing to even sit in the discomfort, mm-hmm. right? For a while without defensiveness mm-hmm. to just hear, to just listen before we respond, mm-hmm. you know, um, with the intention of saying, I may be misunderstood even, mm-hmm. you know, my intentions may be completely trashed, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I've, I may be villainized, whatever it is like, but, but have you even taken, taken your shoes off to walk into someone's story, to listen, to hear before we make a, a plan of action, right. Mm-hmm. Or even a statement, you know? And so that's something that I, um, just value so much about you is your, your grace and your, intentionality to mm-hmm. see the, the people, right? Mm-hmm. No matter if they differ from you, you're not, you're not threatened by that. You're mm-hmm. like, yes, you be you, mm-hmm. but let's have, you can still yeah. sit across the table from one another or, or what, what have you. Um, and so I just want to thank you so much for lending your ear, mm-hmm. lending your voice. I hope that we can have, I hope that these conversations can continue specifically you know, to, I feel like today was a great starting point of like, where do we even start talking about this, mm-hmm. um, this issue, but specifically even onto the future of how do we serve the, the women, the men, the children well, that we're, we're really hoping to serve. And how do we have the conversations as leaders, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you in that discomfort and insecurity sometimes yeah. lead people or lead an organization or lead your follower, your donors, right? Your volunteers, how do you acknowledge them? Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a great question for right now. <laughs> what would you Actually, say? I was, yeah, I was, I think, uh, you know, to, you know, just to thank, you know, thank you again. I always try to sit from a place of gratitude. I think in order to even begin the conversation and continue it, you have to elevate the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the the first and foremost for me, even happened when I first came into this movement in 2015, is why the use of the word slavery? Mm -hmm. Why, who made that choice to say modern day slavery? Do you know what that invokes in people of color, particularly African American people? Do we know that history? So every time I'm at work and I hear Mm. slavery, 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 it's like a trauma over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think until, and I've had this conversation and, you know, people don't understand. Yeah. And most of the time it's people, uh, um, it's not people of color. Mm-hmm. It's usually Caucasian white folks who don't get that, that in itself, yeah. the terminology that we yeah. use uh, can invoke things in people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how, if we can't ask those tough questions about something like that, which is defines our entire movement. Yep. I mean, people throw that, that word around, like they're talking about ice cream or something. So true. And it's like, mm. hold up a second. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it, you haven't had the voices in the places that can make those decisions yeah. at the board level, um, in, in the seats that we're sitting in across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I, I tell people all the time to take a poll just of Houston of the executive director CEOs and just Google the top 20 of them, I would put money on it that neither one of them, none of them are black. Yeah. So if you don't have those people in leadership positions that can make those defining changes in mm-hmm. any movement, mm-hmm. domestic violence, human trafficking, mm-hmm. sexual abuse, 
children, all, yeah. then that stuff is not going to shift. Because at yeah. the end of the day, that's where those major decisions are, are being made, yeah. are happening. So I think we want to give grace to our movement. Mm-hmm. The law just passed in 2000. Absolutely. We're in 2020. Yeah. So all some of these other movements been around 100-something years. Right. So we have to be gentle. So it's not... It's kind of like when you're a kid, then you're a teenager, then you become an adult. So think about a 20-year-old kid, because you're still a kid at yeah. 20. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you're right. You think, you, you, you're think right. you know what you're doing, but it's like, I don't even know. What was I thinking at it's 20? Lord, how mercy. You. Yeah, totally. It's like, what, what happened with that? So so that's what I always try to, try to take a step back and be like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. We're only, we, we just got out of 19. We just hit 20. So you know true. what I mean? So there's a... Yeah. a, a a patience and a yeah. tolerance that we have to have for where we are. That's so good. I love that. That's such a good analogy. You know, and I think, you know, you're talking about in leadership, let's talk like anti-trafficking movement, for example, mm-hmm. are, are there black voices in the leadership or are they, are there black voices in the board level? Are there black voices in the programming level? Right. If, if not, then it is very likely, and I'm just going to bring it down to like a very base level, like example, we, (laughs) we, we, um, you know, if we have only white hair care products at our restoration house, but 80% of the women that we're serving are black, they're going to feel excluded. And yeah, you unseen. might want to get a couple perms yeah. and relax. <laughs> you know, you might, yeah, it's yeah. like very, very simple, like very obvious, should have been seen, yeah. you know, yeah. right? But it's just, if you don't have that perspective, you're going to make mistakes that, that cause more harm unintentionally or, or further harm, right? Um, and so that's something we want to be very, very mindful of. But also, you know, I'm thinking about all the other levels of, we talked about intersectionality, like where where poverty mm-hmm. and where lack of access to education or resources or just, I don't know, um, chronic abuse, homelessness, some of these other LGBTQ communities, sexual identity, um, these other risk factors are so intrinsic in the fabric of, of the outcome or like the, um, yeah, just the outcome of trafficking of, of being exploited. Um, we need black voices in those movements. Mm-hmm. You know, we need black voices in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Or we need black voices in the judicial system, mm-hmm. at the judge and at the, you know, we need those voices in those movements so that we can actually affect change at a systemic level because these are so intertwined. And, you know, we talk a little bit about like, I feel like trafficking is kind of like this this perfect melting pot of all of these vulnerabilities coming mm, together so into good. one terrible outcome yeah. for an individual. Yeah. And the more vulnerabilities that people have, the more at risk they are, right, mm-hmm. for being mm-hmm. exploited. So mm-hmm. um, you're right. We need, we need to see that change come in. We need to see these um, populations being um, lifted up and, and black voices being elevated in each one of these sectors. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. You know, ultimately, it's on you, mm-hmm. it's on me, mm-hmm. and it's on every person who's listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and everyone that they know and everyone that they know. Yeah. It is an individual decision every day when we wake up whether or not we're going to do our work. Yeah. It's a choice. Yeah. We can choose to retreat or we can choose to continue to move forward. 
and activate true change. Yeah. It's a choice. And some days I don't feel like it, to be honest. Yeah. However, I have a responsibility because of the seat I sit in Mm -hmm. to stay strong, stay prayed up. Mm. I pray a lot. We pray a lot. I know you do. We pray for each other because we have to. (laughs) How else are you going to do this work? It's a very dark, dark um, crime and part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're battling against spiritual things that are so deep and so rooted, so much in darkness that we have to continue to be the light. You Mm -hmm. asked me, Tamika, you've asked me this before, how do do you really think that way about being positive and hopeful and loving you and wanting to look into your eyes and say, I think you're amazing, Micah. I think that you're an awesome human being. I think that there's so much potential. You've Mm -hmm. grown. God is using you. I mean that because Mm -hmm. I believe when you speak life into other people, then you speak life into yourself. Mm -hmm. And we have to speak life into this movement. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that is speaking life into each other. I truly believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I heard something yesterday um, as I'm learning, (laughs) so I'm opening up my, you know, trying to get as many tools as I can, like why, why it's so important to keep the conversation going. Um, but as you're saying to, to, you have to like death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? So you have to speak life. You have to speak the restoration. You have to speak the prophetic vision and destiny of a generation. Mm. Um, if you want to see change, (laughs) the prophetic vision. Okay. Yeah. Write that one down. Where's that? Who's taking notes? No, I'm kidding. No. Yeah, Um, yeah, that was good. But the reason for doing so, the reason for continually having this conversation um, is that you you physically, um, neurobiologically, you can't change your mind until it's conscious. Mm -hmm. You can't change your thoughts until they're conscious. So Mm -hmm. as long as these things stay in the subconscious and stay like on the back burner, we can't actually physically, like you're saying, you have a choice every, every, every single morning, every day, God, you know, to, to direct your will in a certain way and to direct your behaviors. And so, um, that's one thing why we want the conversation to keep continuing and so that we can continually be learning, continually be growing and advocating and doing it in, you know, a life-giving, positive, Mm -hmm. but also like a biblical way. Like what is God calling this generation to and we can look at the riots we can look at the violence and we can look at the anger and the upraised fist as one thing but i i have a tendency to say like you know what that's righteous anger it's righteous Mm -hmm. anger and it's you can't invalidate that because Mm -hmm. it's someone's experience now i don't agree with violence you know know. right i'm not i'm not advocating for that let's be very very clear but you know like a silence is violence too Hmm. that's super powerful that's very, so it's saying something. The balance? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there is something that this generation carries mm-hmm. for justice that can be denied. Everyone says that, you know, mm-hmm. you look mm-hmm. at the stats, secular, you see it. This generation is advocating for justice and they are demanding yeah. justice. And so that part of it, that righteous indignation part mm-hmm. of it needs to be validated. And how do you speak life into something and kind of redirect that in a positive way? You know what? Yes, you have a voice. Yes, your your anger is val- it's yeah. valid, and mm-hmm. it's and it is time. Yeah. It's time for this to be over. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. how can we do this in a way that actually affects intrinsic, like very deep rooted systemic mm-hmm. change? Um, and I hope that this conversation le- mm-hmm. promotes that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think it is, and I think just some action steps that 
I would recommend some things that we're doing at our organization. If anyone is listening and interested, it's it's called DEI, and it's called Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion mm-hmm. Practices, and it's for businesses. It's something you can utilize uh, in your organizations, different uh, groups that you're involved in, and it's a very practical way to take a look at self mm-hmm. and your businesses, your organizations, uh, and it's something that has been really impactful to me. And uh, You can, as an organization, make a statement, put it on your website and say, this is what we're committed to in everything right. that we do. Um, and beyond training and conversations, you know, some folks believe it's just time for action. Mm-hmm. We've been training. Mm-hmm. We've been educating. Mm-hmm. That's why they're out in the streets because mm-hmm. we've been talking for a very, very long yeah. time. Yeah. And I think that just trying to find a way to equip people with knowledge those practices are something that we're as an organization really pushing and I think as a movement mm-hmm. we're going to lead that call through our coalition mm-hmm. and really educating all of our coalition members that's 70 different organizations wow. that are in the fight yeah so we believe we can impact change in that way absolutely and yeah you actually elevating this conversation Micah I mean your heart is all over this mm. you're leadership is all over this. You are being elevated to places that you could have never imagined. And I've I've told you that when I first really (laughs) sat down with you. And it's beautiful to see. And thank you so much for a platform Mm -hmm. to have this tender, kind conversation. Mm -hmm. Because that's what's going to heal all of us is tenderness and kindness. Yeah. And it's not, those are not just words. Yeah. Acting. Yes. Yes. Tenderness. Acting with kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and showing love in a way that people and the way they need to receive it, yeah. you know, yeah. what that looks like for them, asking them, how do I demonstrate do love to you? Yeah. Because what, what I want right is now? different than exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Hey, we hope that this episode of the Elijah Rising podcast has been informative, but we hope that it's been challenging too. Uh, that was a really authentic conversation that happened between two incredible women who are leading nonprofits. If you want to learn more about the work of Elijah Rising, you can visit our website at ElijahRising.org. And if you want to learn more about the work of United Against Human Trafficking, you can visit their website at UAHT.org. You can also support this podcast by subscribing, by sharing it, by telling your friends about it. And you can support the work of Elijah Rising, which produces this podcast. And again, you can visit our website. You can go to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, And you can shop our store at shop.elijahrising.org. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elijah Rising podcast, and we'll see you next time.